Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Poor Ben. Like, I probably have sent him, in the time we've worked together, more text messages than he's received from his own husband in the time they've been together. Poor Ben. Like, ben, oh, and what about this? What do you want to do with this? Did you hear this? Uh, Poor Ben. Poor, it's just ben. my anxiety. I don't know. I, I have to get things out quickly. If it's in my mind, I just want it out there in the world. And that's I, Mary Lee. That's, yeah, Mary that's what Lee. I do to Stephanie. Oh, oh, good. I'm so, I do that to Stephanie all the time. I'm like, oh, and one more thing. And then yeah. I'm just like, yeah. all right, I need to just, all right, Sunday, I'm not going to text her once, not all day. I have to literally have to make rules for myself not to annoy <laughs> I her. tell Ben, I said to Ben on Sean's birthday, I said, it's Sean's birthday. I'm not, oh no, I said, I, I, I texted Sean, his husband. I said, for your birthday, I won't text Ben today. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. My musical worlds are colliding a bit with this conversation today. Scott Allen and Ben Cohn are both musicians, composers, and dear friends that I have worked with separately and together. When I first moved to New York City, I was asked to perform at Joe's Pub in an evening of music, and it was pairing new composer, lyricists, with new artists. I had met Scott Allen before. I had admired his music, but that was how I really came to know and quickly adore not only the music, but the heart of Scott Allen. His songs, especially Never Neverland, which I will ask him later in the interview if it is Never Neverland or just straight up Neverland. We'll get to that. But that song has been a part of my repertoire since. And performing it live those many years ago at Joe's Pub, together he and I have collaborated on tracks for now three albums, I believe. Uh, Dreaming Wide Awake, which was his album in 2007, my solo album called This Place I Know in 2009, and again with Scott Allen Live, which was recorded from Birdland uh, at 2012. And then there is this genius, Ben Cohn. He is my current musical director and arranger for all of my live concerts, but he is really very well known on the Broadway scene as a top shelf musician and conductor, musical supervisor. I first met him many moons ago through Wicked, but he is now extremely busy with many companies and the incarnations of the musical Dear Evan Hansen, including the feature film that will hit theaters at the end of September. They've come together as co-creators, making a beautiful, beautiful album and what I think is going to be a musical legacy for their children. That too will be dropping at the end of September, September 24th, and that album is called Nothing More. Please welcome Ben Cohn and Scott Allen. Scott Allen and Ben Cohn to stage. Scott and Ben to stage, please. What I want to do is touch upon some of these dynamics. Dynamics that I know about the both of you as people, as musicians, as parents, as creators. And so let's jump right in with what that looks like, right? With Scott, the three of us sharing a studio in 2009 when we're creating Never Neverland. Is it Never Neverland or just Neverland? So it's Never Neverland fly away so that it doesn't, it separates from the idea of the actual Disney song. Great. So you and I had performed this live many times over. 
But when it came time to do my album, I reached out to you and said, I do want to do it. I want to do it in a, in a different sort of flavor. You came in and you played beautifully alongside me. And Ben was in the engineer room of that recording session. And that was the first time, am I correct, that you two had met and, and worked together? So the, we, the first time that we had met was for that recording, but we had met at my apartment prior mm. uh, to actually go through the arrangement itself. I did not like Ben. Um, <laughs> I tell thought- me why, because he is the most likable human I have ever met. So tell me how you saw something different. Um, it, 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 you know, I think at that time it wasn't Ben, it was me. I was very insecure about my piano playing. I've now mm-hmm. learned how to actually read sheet music, but at the time I was always playing and writing by ear. And when you came to me with this new idea, Ben presented a really thought out idea in terms of piano. And so when he came to me, he brought me the sheet music. I could not play it. And so he started trying to tinker and show me what could be done with it. I couldn't remember it. I think it was getting him tiny bit frustrated. Now, if I'm correct, he did not do the whole album. He did about three or four songs. That's so this, right. That's this right. is one of his songs on the album. And so like anyone, he wants it to be correct. He wants it to be a part of his vision. And so um, I was not allowing him to see that vision. So he had to strip down all of the piano part. I think we kept only a few bars of the piano and he had to change a lot of the focus of the arrangement and orchestration to fit me. And I remember when we were in the studio and I was tinkering around with it, I was not getting things and he was coming back in and showing me. And I remember him sitting down and I remember Stephen Flaherty was right before me um, and he was still in the booth um, with you. Okay, so that is a bit nerve-wracking. I can understand. Completely. And I remember Ben sitting down. He goes, why don't I play it? And I remember thinking in my head, get out of my way. You know, that that insecurity, you start shaking. And I already suffer from such anxiety. I mean, I have like happy pills here. Like, you know, I'm just, literally, I do. And so that's my side of the story. I I did not actually enjoy my working relationship with Ben. this has been a whole different, this has been the best collaboration I've ever had in my life with, with any collaborator. Well, we're now looking yeah, into the future of over 11, 12, almost 12 God, years I now. Mean, and I can say as the soloist and co-producer of that album, this place I know, I didn't see any of this. So kudos to the both of you for shaping that moment and shaping whatever was happening with the musicians to be one experience while I now have never heard this story. So I am grateful to have been protected so that I could interpret the music in one way to wear the producer hat with confidence. So I'm grateful, but you must have seen something wonderful in Ben to then I'm guessing you reached out to him for this particular project, which again is called nothing more the album, nothing more. Um, I did. I knew that I wanted a gay or trans dad to be a part of this project. I mean, I thought it was really essential since all the songs were written for my daughter and we were going to have gay and trans and bisexual uh, vocalists join us for the album. And so I had reached out to Ben and I was very, I'll, I'll let him finish the story, but I was very honest with him right off the, 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 the top of the conversation. I said, I don't know if you remember our time with Stephanie, but I did not enjoy our time together. And I, if we're going to work together and 
you know, attempt to make a collaboration happen, there are many variables of this relationship. I want to make sure that we position properly. And to Ben's credit, he, you know, he said to me right off the bat, let me try one song. Let's see us collaborate mm. on one song, mm. see how that collaboration works, which is the second track we're going to be dads. Um, and let's see where that goes. Ben, but, you yeah. received this email. And do you immediately get Achara going back to 2009 and going, oh, holy crap. No, <laughs> no, no. Or do you, I know you as a pretty open-minded creator and friend and, but did that come flooding in? And you're like, well, I don't want to take this on at this point in my life. Uh, well, for starters, I, I didn't experience, you know, our, our work on Never Neverland for your album nearly as emotionally as Scott did. <laughs> um, you know, I'm normally very, I think, very sensitive to people's insecurities. And, uh, you know, I think a great way to get something great out of somebody, and I, as I've learned as a music director um, and as a ranger, is to really figure out what their insecurities are and make sure that I'm very aware of them and very... Um, you know, uh, that I'm helping them through any kind of situation like that. I think in, in the case of your album and working on this song, you know, there were so many other, I wanted you to be happy with the arrangement. I wanted the arrangement to really soar and be uh, amazing and stand out. I think I went in with the idea that everyone just wanted it to be like amazing. And so I was very not tuned in to Scott's own. And I didn't know him at the time at all, other than this interaction. And so I really didn't know that all of that was coming from just insecurity over playing a piano part, which, you know, it's just a piano part. Like for me, you know, I don't hold a lot of emotion with a piano part. I just, it's, it, let's make it the best. Let's make it right for this song. So I, I'll start there. And, and when Scott brought it up to me, you know, now 12, 13 years later, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, you know, he's <laughs> holding on to it for all these years. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I enjoyed my time with Scott Allen. Um, so that I'll, I'll start there. Um, however, you know, when he first posed it to me, I was, you know, this was, you know, right smack in the middle of the pandemic when, you know, I wasn't working on a show for the very first time in a long time. I wasn't on a show schedule. I wasn't, uh, you know, flooded with other things. And this came up and I thought, oh, wow. Yeah, I would love, you know, this is going to be a huge project. But yeah, this is. And, and of course, the fact that this was about gay parents was like right up my alley. I mean, it's it was so personal and, and and so perfect that I thought okay I've known Scott's work for so long I love his work I think he's a super talented guy and that's really all it was for me it was you know an interesting and exciting prospect to to work on this album with him I find in both of you you have listening skills that I don't think I will ever have when it comes to music the things that you both can hear. How do you listen differently when it's a live performance versus a studio, you know, performance of your music? And how do you listen differently now that you're parents? Do you find that you hear things very differently? Um, so if you both can speak to that word and how it kind of filters through your life as musicians and creators, but also as dads. I mean, Scott's pointing at me. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a lot in there, first of all. And I, I would like to also start by saying, uh, you don't give yourself enough credit. I think, um, you know, you are you're such an amazing storyteller on stage. And I think you feel things very, very deeply. And I think you know what you love and know what you like. And whenever I'm working on an arrangement for you specifically, I try to gear it very much towards what I think your sensibility is. And I, th I think you actually hear and feel a lot more than you think you do. 
But uh, in this case, you know, the difference between for me doing an album and doing a live performance uh, on an album, you, you have the opportunity for perfection, which I think is is a, is kind of dangerous when you're working on music because you could really go down the rabbit hole as Scott and I have on this and as, as I think I have on every single recording I've ever done um, of you wanting everything to be exactly perfect from not only from the arrangement to the performances to the mix to you know every little aspect of it and that can get sort of infuriating as you li- or start living with the mix the the actual song itself whereas live you know there's this magic to that one performance um, and no matter how out of tune someone was or how maybe something fell apart on that bar or maybe a lyric was flubbed, you can still say, wow, wasn't that an amazing performance of that song? Sometimes the audience gives you back something that, um, you know, oftentimes it's the audience that, you know, they, they wildly cheer after a performance that you thought was like, <laughs> maybe not so great. Um, so there's just so many, there's so many more elements to a live performance that, that are just magical. Whereas when you're doing a recording, you're trying to capture that magic in a recording. Do you Scott? find... With the perfection aspect of it, though, I'm going to go back to, since all four of us are parents, I have had to release a lot of that goal for going toward perfection because it just doesn't exist. I mean, you watch this little person as a a mini tornado through your house, and no matter how you're trying to control or keep things aesthetically pleasing, it just doesn't exist. And I've tried to allow myself that grace in also my professional life. I think there's a lot of beauty in imperfection, at least when you're doing a live performance. The imperfection of your voice cracking because you're welled up with emotion is only going to trigger such an honest reaction from your listener because you're being so honest. And it's the same thing with children. I think part of the job as a parent is to allow your kids to hold that mirror up and show you all your imperfections because it's just going to help you be better. And it just teaches them that they're allowed to be imperfect Mm -hmm. and not to be afraid to face their own imperfections Mm -hmm. because that's what being human is. One of the things I remember writing about when my son was really small was that my instinct was to protect him from all the little hurts in life, right? I wanted to protect him from the mean kid on the swing. I wanted to protect him when I knew he was going to fall down or fall off something. And what I realized was if you keep protecting your children from all the small pains, from all the little mistakes, their lessons are harder to learn. So the lessons become bigger and the scars and scrapes become deeper and the problems become larger because they didn't tweak it when they were small, when there was an opportunity. So our instinct to never let them feel sadness or pain or disappointment is actually not good for the kid because they have to learn to cope with those things. You know, I think um, the the word perfect is extremely dangerous. Um, I tell this to voice students all the time, um, let go of the idea of perfect. You'll never be perfect. So mm-hmm. it's time to let go of that. I think one of the, the strengths of my writing, if I can pat myself on the back, is how imperfect it is. And I say that as a strength, honestly. I, I don't try at any time to listen to what my audience is going to react to. I only tell my own story. In regards to the, you know, the, the keeping the safe, it's so interesting because we have a song on the album, um, Best For You Kid, which is between the uh, my daughter's birth mother 
and myself. And in there, we have a lyric there that says, uh, hold her close and keep her safe, but let her fall to help her be brave. And that's sort of what we're trying to, to aim for always with, with our daughter, which is let her go up and let her fall. As much as she needs to fall, let her fall. And we have found that every time she falls, she gets right back up and goes right back to wherever she was. We don't stop her. We let her go for it. And there are gonna be cuts and there are gonna be bruises. We all have the remnants of them all over our body. If we look closely enough, maybe we don't remember where the, 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 the history of it came from, but they're all there. And merely, if you don't mind me interjecting with, uh, in terms of yesterday, we were having this lovely conversation via email and she had said, you know, I, I hope you don't mind, but I, I, I wanted to tell you the story about my son and I, put these incredible montages together. And I actually used one of your songs, Home, which was originally sung by Shoshana Bean on one of the montages. And she said maybe three or four times within that email, this is, I don't sound like Shoshana. I'm not Shoshana. If you're gonna listen to this, this is not Shoshana. <laughs> and what I had to remind her is my, my mind has completely changed since becoming a parent because I love Shoshana's version for what it, represented in that moment but to hear a parent sing it is mm -hmm. a completely different idea of the song i didn't write it as a parent i wrote it actually as a dog parent i wrote it for my dog <laughs> which is the funny part i did billy it's the but same I, thing yeah mary lee loves it, it her is. furry i am crazy <laughs> it is but it is it is, there is a difference to that because i didn't write it for that connection and you know when you listen to the song. We we actually, uh, Ben and I worked on an arrangement of the song for this album. It was supposed to be on the album. And when we listened to it, and, and at, at first the whole album was gonna be just gay and trans and bisexual and non-binary uh, individuals on the album. And we had some females lined up for the album and then they slowly had to pull off of the album and we just lined it up just to be gay and trans uh, dads. When we listened down to it, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. The song didn't work in the way that I wanted it to. It sounds so much different coming from a mother and that idea of the growth of a child. And so the imperfection, the idea of what we normally think a song is supposed to sound like, I always tell people, remove that idea. I say all the time, use punch words because if you find those words and you color them, in, it then becomes your song because Stephanie would find other words to color. Mm -hmm. Your words are different than her words. And then her words are different than Shoshana's words and Mary Lee's uh, words. And they're all different. And when I was listening to Mary Lee's beautiful version of Home, I said to her, this should be on the podcast. She sounds like Joan Baez to me. I mean, it's this beautiful uh, folk vocal that is theatrical, but also pop and folk. And it, it, lent itself to a completely different idea of what the song represented. I listened to it a few times last night. I thought oh, it was- Oh, you're, you're very, well, very sweet. Great. You're very so we're sweet. gonna take a pause, everybody, and you're gonna listen to several <laughs> bars of Mary Lee singing home. Look at what I'm given This beautiful creation A sweet intoxication Something pure in my life Look at all these changes You're the light that shines within me And you'll be mine completely 
There'll be no darkness left to view I never knew this form of love existed Yet deep inside of me is where it all begins So hold me in your heart As you'll have mine forever When you lay inside my arms I'll protect you for always Never feel alone For I'll always be with you Home is where the heart is meant to be We could play the whole song. Do you want me to play the whole song? We no, get your, own, get your own yeah. podcast. Okay, no, get your own. Mind. Okay. All right. I loved it. I thought it was just beautiful. Oh, you guys are you're very, very kind. What does home life look like now that you've got little ones that are running around? So 23 months, right, Scott? Your daughter's 23 months. And then Ben... Alistair is nine. nine. How are you finding that balance of still creating and finding time for yourself? I'm sure your partners, your husbands are a big part of that, but allowing your time and space that's just for you, one, without feeling guilty and just the logistics of it. What does the day look like logistically? First of all, summer camp helps a lot, <laughs> um, which, it, it, you know, I, we're all any anyone who has a school age child knows that you know when that child goes and, and who is a freelance artist or you know is working on things during the day for their art knows that when their child is in school or camp that's when you get your best work done um, or your only work done I should say uh, talk about letting your kids um, grow and and do their own thing he's an extreme sports uh, skate camp in the middle of rural Pennsylvania that he found and discovered and researched um, and it's you know, he's having a blast. So that's what he's doing. So this is why this week I actually have some time. Uh, but that's a great question. I, you know, it's like right now I'm doing this podcast from the place where I do everything. It's literally my closet of uh, my bedroom in my tiny New York City apartment. And I close the door. And when Alistair happens to be here in the house, which is not all that often while I'm working, I just close the door and, you know, I can still hear loud running and feet stomping and iPads screaming and all kinds of stuff in the other room. But, you know, you put the headphones on and do your best. But it is really hard. You know, I, 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 I often think about this pandemic and I think about like, what's the perfect age child to have had during this awful pandemic? And I don't know the answer. I know that, you know, having, uh, you know, Alistair was seven, eight during most of the pandemic. And, it was pretty good because you can somewhat reason with him and say, okay, listen, just like go in there. I will give you an extra hour of iPad time. If you just, you know, like go in the other room and, you know, just let me finish this project and then we'll go to the park all day for the rest of the day. Bribery. Lots of bribery. Scott, you're, I don't know how you did it to be honest with a, with a child who's that young. Alex was born um, into the NICU. So we, once we got out of the NICU, she was just, uh, we, we were there for about a month, month and a half. 
Uh, we had to hold off due to her complications from really allowing her out in the world until she got that flu shot. Mm. The flu shot was coming up, the pandemic hit. Wow. And uh, wow. so she really, for the first uh, 16 months of her life, never really saw the world. But going back to your original question, my husband works uh, four days a week, so he's gone. So I, with my daughter, four days a week without a babysitter, because I'm saving all the money that I can to put into the album. And then once she goes to bed, I go right into voice lessons all night. And um, I do those internationally. So a lot of the times when Australia is waking up, I'm doing a, a voice lesson at 11 p.m. with someone. And that's just how it has to go when you have a dream and want to do something. So, you know, I don't know how different it would be for the two of you because you have partners that work in the same industry, you know, so that's, is that easier? I don't know. You know, it does get really difficult because you want to do some of your dreams as well and, you know, make them happen. But I also am a big believer that I want her to watch me then go to do things. So I don't feel the guilty feeling when I take those hours or two over because I want her to know dad's going to work. And I want her to see that I'm doing it because there are things that I love. And mm -hmm. I want her to see that from me. I want her to realize that you go and you do things, you put things on stop sometimes and pause doesn't mean that I love you any less. It right. just means that I have dreams and aspirations. And I want her to learn that from me as well. I think right. it's really essential. And that's just, yeah. that's something I need to work on because I know when I'm with her, I'm very present. Right. Um, to answer your question with two artists trying to navigate the schedule, we have a little chalkboard. It's called the big board. And we meet in the morning and we write down the big board and what everybody's day looks like. And it's constantly roving. I mean, it's never going to be the same. Seb is outside with her now while I'm doing this. And then I'll take her while he picks up the car and runs some errands. And then I have to go into the closet and do a voiceover audition. So that's how that works. It's just a constant every day. And as long as Vivi knows a structure, some sort of structure to the day, mm -hmm. she feels okay. My husband was not in the business and we had this theory, I guess, and, and he's the one who came up with it. And I just loved it. We said, let's pretend that we only get 500 asks. So my son will only say to me, mom, will you come watch TV with me 500 times? And I want to know that I said yes to 480 of them. <laughs> and so when you think about it in, in a limited way, when, when there's a finality to childhood and their needs and their wants, which constantly change and adapt, suddenly it's much easier to make the decisions and go, you know what, uh, that I said no yesterday. So I'm not going to say no again, because I want to know that I took as many of those 500 moments as I could. I remember I held Vivi for three months straight and a friend of mine came and looked at me and said, one day she won't ask anymore and you right. don't want to know when that day's coming and you won't realize it mm -hmm. until you look back a month later and go, oh my gosh, she mm -hmm. hasn't put her arms up and said, hold you mama, hold you mama. And mm -hmm. it, that's exactly the way it happened. I looked back mm -hmm. and went, <gasps> awareness that it hits you so hard. And you look back and go, is that chapter done with? I think I speak uh, for all of us when we say we feel our children are our, our legacy, but our art is also our legacy. You know, that um, song from Sunday in the Park with George, which we were fortunate enough to speak with James Lapine, but children and art, those are two pillars, at least for me, that I really hold on to and say, this is how I will continue to be an energy and be alive in this space, even when I am physically 
earthly gone. Um, what does that legacy look like for the both of you? Let's say we're looking back and we're seeing your body of work or we're meeting your children. What would you like that legacy to be? Ben? <laughs> I was hoping I would. I did not point. I did ben, not you point. are sitting at the front of the class today, my friend. Oh, um, that's just, yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I don't have a fully formed answer to that other than when you have a child, everything is like right now. Like how do we deal with what's happening today? And then what's on the schedule for tomorrow? It's always about trying to keep an, a nice balance between like family time, work time, you know, and, and what you're doing. Um, and we just very rarely think about the like the future future other than to say like okay wherever Alistair goes to college we're going to move there <laughs> you know things like that and you know you make these big statements about what what it's going to be and uh, especially when you have one child and oh, will only have one child um and you think about like okay i mean are we doing we have one shot at this like what's this child this this child is like our is our legacy and and it's not about how it reflects on us but it's about you know what are, are we making sure that this child is going to have a great life and 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 do everything he wants to do and and is going to be you know not just get a job one day but get a job that he's fulfilled in and that he loves and are we pushing him in a direction that is you know what we love to do or is it really what he loves to do so there's all there are all these questions with the child you know are we doing this right like every moment you're just checking 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 um, whereas I find it a lot easier with music and with the art because, um, you know, you're just working on projects. Like, for example, you know, I've been working on this project with Scott um, and I'm not thinking at all about 10 years from now, listening back to the music and thinking about, you know, will I like this? Will people like this? And I'm just thinking in the moment of, are we telling the story right now? But when I look back at things I've, you know, when I look back, listen back to Never Neverland on Stephanie's album, and I think, wow, that was really beautiful. And if someone ever asks me like, hey, can I hear an example of something you've done? I say, oh yeah, there was this really beautiful thing that I'm proud of with this amazing composer and amazing singer. And so when I look back at it that way, it's, you know, I, I, I say, well, what are the things that I'm proud of that I worked on and why am I proud of them? Every time it's, I love listening to it or I love thinking about that performance and it just made me feel something, uh, you know, so instead of thinking of it as, you know, what's my legacy? How are people going to think about Ben Cohn in the future? It's what is, you know, how did I feel when I, when I, when I made this piece? How do other people feel when they listen to this? Um, and so much, I'll add one thing and I think this is something we can all kind of, um, I know Stephanie, you, you think about as well. When you, when you work on a Broadway show that is something that people have heard of, like a Wicked or a Dear Van Hansen, that becomes your legacy in a weird way. And, and maybe not always the great way because people say, oh yeah, Ben Cohn, I know him. He is the music director for Dear Van Hansen. And you think, well, yes, that's true. That is what I do a lot of my time. But is that really my legacy? Is that what I want people to think about mm -hmm. uh, when they think about me in the future? It is oftentimes why people hire you for a gig because you have this legacy of credits. But you know, I, I would like people to think more about like, oh yeah, you you did that beautiful arrangement on Scott Allen's uh, yeah. album, or you know, you you did this, you created. I saw this concert once where you did the orchestration, and it was just like really beautiful. Um, so it's you know, I don't know that we have that much control over it. It's so funny too, Ben, because we had this conversation. We almost inserted the word legacy into um, the song for always. And we pulled it. Mm, Why did you want to pull it then? Um, I wanted to pull it because it made it feel selfish in a weird way. 
you know, it's, you know, when you talk about your child being your legacy, it's like, I, it, when you, when you first mentioned that to me, it, it fell on my, you know, everything you write is so personal and so much about the love of your daughter and the, and I don't want to simplify it. And, and, you know, um, there's a lot of complicated feelings and thoughts in there, but it's about, you know, it was, it's, you've always said that the album's about your child, it's about your love for your child. It's what I want her to, you know, and when you talk about your child as a legacy, it feels like, I don't know. It feels, you know, I know people who have, who have kids because they're, you know, they want them to be little versions of them. And especially Mm -hmm. as someone who has adopted a child who is not biologically connected to that child. um, I I know people who say, you know, I'm really mainly interested in having children because I, I want little me's, right. You know, I want them to have my genes. I want them to have my love for this, but you know, and you're like, and for someone like me, who's a, like that doesn't even enter into it. I mean, he's not going to look anything like me or Sean. He's not going to have any of our genes or any of our, you know, and that's not why we have a child. We have a child mm. because we we want a family. We want to watch this child grow and, and become something really interesting. And so when you say legacy, it just becomes about you and in a weird way. I'm happy that we pulled it. And again, that's a part of uh, the great thing with Ben and I. We did collaborate so much in terms of, I mean, he would send me things and we would literally go back and forth on on various things. And I would send him lyrics that I just wasn't sure of, especially because I know he's a songwriter himself. So it made it really easy for me in those terms. But in terms of legacy, I, and I was thinking uh, it's sort of interesting, the four of us, we all have, we're a single, you know, in terms of our- We have only We only yeah. have ones, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that's a different question altogether. But I, I think it's more what I want left on my my tombstone, which is just loved his family. And maybe it's different for you guys. I because I was never trained as a writer. I never really think of myself as a songwriter. I do it, but I I think of myself more as a therapist. And I know that sounds weird, but my music is like therapy in terms of what I put out there is my therapy, and then other people use it. For their therapy. Their healing? For their therapist, yes. Okay. And so that's sort of how I've always transitioned myself in terms of how I see myself. Um, And I don't see myself as a writer. So that is not my legacy in terms of what I want to be remembered for is not my music. I want to be remembered for being a good person and kind and loving and, and, and crazy and anxious and you know, clinically depressed and overcoming those things. I want to be remembered for all of those things. I want people to remember every part of that. And I will, and that's in my music. So, you know, that is a part of that, but as a whole of me, I want people to know the whole of me and being a father and a husband are part of my whole. So that's what I want to be remembered for. Talk to me about the title, Nothing More. Why did you choose that to be uh, the title of the album? Ultimately, it came down to a song that I had written uh, back in 2008. Um, and uh, the the start of the song says, um, I want a family, I want a husband and child. Um, and it's all about the things that I wanted in terms of part of my life and it was sort of a nod to the people that have been along the road for me for a really long time to, to understand what that title represented and to look at that song and go, I know what he wanted at what time. And now he's, he's made it happen. Adaption's a hard road for so many people. Uh, it's just not uh, an easy road. Uh, but again, it goes back to the start of this conversation. I was determined to make this happen. Nothing more than a family and a husband. And we did it quickly. I mean, we've been together 
four years, married three, have a child who's two. I mean, we've done everything very, very quickly, but it's, it's the way that I, I saw it. And thankfully my husband just put up his hands and said, tell me what to sign. Let's yeah. go. Let's make it happen. And, um, this is my nothing more. This, if this is all that my life ever is, I'm happy. The, the beauty of um, this album, and you've spoken to it already about the representation and making sure that artists singing these songs have a deep connection and an understanding and the real life walk of being a gay dad or trans or, or bi. And I think that's amazing. I've never seen an album like this before. And I'm not just saying this, if, if someone else had done it, I would be saying the same thing. I've, I don't know of an album where you see gay dads and trans dads that are coming together to tell their story. And never once do we say anything in terms of, well, it's hard to be a gay dad or a trans dad. We're not talking about those type of things. We're talking about the reality of what it was like to adopt a child or be in the NICU because the birth mother for most of us um, have had complications. It's not as easy. Um, it's just the reality of our situation and what that adoption process looks like. And, you know, I talk about my clinical depression in one of the songs and mm. what I thought that was going to mean in terms of being a dad and what that would represent. And so when, you know, Ben and I sat down to really look at this, this story, I said to Ben, the first thing I said to him was, I need your story to be invested in my story. Mm -hmm. So I want my story to then bring your story to life. And I want our books to collaborate. And then every time that we bring someone, you know, in, I want their story to come into play. So, you know, and that is what we did. We just kept on putting levels and levels and levels. You know, usually when I put out music, cause it's so personal, I always get nervous that people are not gonna like it because it's, it is my life. But when I hear the orchestrations and the arrangements, I hear Ben's life and I get to know Ben mm -hmm. even more. By Beautiful. Ben, was there a particular song that resonated with you and you felt sort of connected to your journey to parenthood or um, touched upon any like personal moments in your life, even though Scott had written the lyrics? Is there one particular tune that does that for you? There's bits and pieces of all of them that are very specifically, uh, you know, something that I have always connected to. I think, you know, they're probably, ironically, probably the simplest song orchestrationally on the album uh, is called Don't Grow. Um, every every song on this album has lots of, you know, strings and all kinds of beautiful things and different things. Uh, Don't Grow is literally just piano and cello as mm, of now. My um, favorite, you know, yeah. me cello. Uh, Holy yes. moly. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier in this podcast about all those different stages and, you know, missing the stage where, where you're holding the child all the time and then going, you know, and Sean and I often talk about it, you know, now that Alistair is nine, we, you know, we mourn every stage that mm -hmm. we lost, you know, and I think about, I loved having a, a little baby that just, you just stare at them all day. And, um, and then that crazy three-year-old, you know, just running around everywhere that specific brand of three-year-old every stage it's it's really a mourning pro i mean i i mourned two years ago when he was just a seven-year-old and 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 liked some music that didn't have you know curse words in it um <laughs> but you know but you know so so this concept of you know just don't grow like i just don't want you to mm. 
and it's a very common universal thing that I think all parents talk about, but it's really a really serious thing. Like, oh my God, I just want to capture this. You know, I'm dreading, he's so close to being a teenager and yeah. I just, you know, I'm dreading, I don't dread it. I look forward to every stage and I think it's going to be exciting. To, but it acts know. against all of our instincts as parents. We want yeah. to hold them close and keep them there, but you're not being a, in quotes, good parent if you don't give them the wings to keep moving away yeah. from you. Leave you. Oh, wait till they're teenagers. I find myself pre-mourning things. I imagine (laughs) what's happening. Oh my God. And I already feel myself mourning it, even though he's right, he's right in the next room, but I know what's next. And I've seen how fast it goes. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's interesting because I know Stephanie at one point said, you know, that, that idea of uh, her daughter saying to her, you know, mama, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And that's sort of what the song represents. It's, it's, it's about what happens when that day comes when they don't want to be picked up anymore. Right. And what happens when they're too big to be picked up? And so the song is just sort of saying, you know, everything has changed with you and the beautiful things, you know, you, you your imagination is bigger than who you are. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's how beautiful it is. But one day you're going to grow to a size that picking you up is gonna feel impossible. And, you know, thankfully we found a way to say, no, there's never gonna be a day that that I won't want to pick you up no matter how bad my back is because right. Ben and I both talk about ever since our kids came, it, our backs were like, I don't know what happened with our sciatica. Um, that's track, that's bonus track number 13. Yeah, sciatica. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, I, I listened to a few of the tracks that you sent in there. They're just beautiful. And yeah. what I love about what I listen to is that it really is storytelling. And storytelling is just such a fundamental part of being human. And it's such a fundamental thing to remind us that we're all connected in so many ways and that there's more alike than difference. Mm -hmm. No matter if you're two dads, two moms, you know, a mom and a dad, we're all experiencing the same things. And so the storytelling that you two do with this music and in this uh, release is it's bigger than just talking about parenthood. It's reminding us we all That's want right. and need the same things for ourselves, for our children. And, and, you know, it's putting something really good in the world in a time when the world needs good. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of this album and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of Ben's work on this album. Uh, I, I just think it's exquisite. I really do. I mean, he's just a master at what he does and I learn. I have learned so much through it, and I've learned so much through Ben's work. And mm-hmm. you know, I just I feel really fortunate to have worked with him, and not let you know the the debacle of my mind get in the way uh, from 2009. Now it's time for our five questions. Ben, tell us something about yourself that most people might find surprising. Oh goodness, um, that's a great question. I guess that uh, um, I was actually very much into sports mostly growing up, um, and was you know I was captain of my tennis team. I played soccer for most of my young life, and was a very sportsy type person. And in fact, was having a conversation with uh, so, like one of my oldest friends who I've known since I was about three or four, um, and we've you know through the years have lost you know a little bit of touch. We just kind of catch up. Um, and he was saying how he remember I didn't remember at all. He was like throughout our entire childhood, 
he said, I would, cause we were talking about our kids and what they like to do. And he was saying, you know, my son just likes to stay inside, just like me. He likes to stay inside and like hang out inside. And he said, I never was allowed to hang out inside when we hung out. <laughs> cause he said, you were, you were always like, let's go out, let's play sports. Let's do this. And, um, I, you know, I, that's just what I was like all growing up. And that is surprise. Yeah. My jaw is down. At, <laughs> if you could see my face, I'm surprised by that. I thought you were going to say that you got expelled from school for interrupting the teacher. Too <laughs> no, that's his next answer. Yeah, that's yeah. not his brand. That's not his brand. Um, Scott, if you could go back to your late teen or 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself? Um, stay for the ride. Mm. Yeah, stay for the ride. Mm. And if you were kidnapped and you had one phone call, and you had to signal to your husband that you were in danger, what would you say to let him know that you were in danger? So what would you, what lie would you tell so that he would know <laughs> you're not telling the truth? Um, oh my God. <laughs> I guess I would say, why don't you tell me, oh, talk to me more about that new drum set you just bought. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's like, something horrible. Something is horrible. Something horrible. Uh huh. Yeah. Mine would be, oh, honey, make sure you swing by and pick up the sushi on your way home. So it would be like, Jesus, what's going on over there? <laughs> Mine would be, oh, I'm so bummed out. I'm missing that football game. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yes, mine but would probably be, um, let's see, uh, I love unvaccinated people. <laughs> Oh, God. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Do you have a ritual or a good luck charm that you go to when you're putting out a new album or when you're about to step on stage? Is there any sort of good luck charm or ritual that you use? I drink a glass of wine. I think that's my ritual. I have partaken in your ritual. <laughs> I know that ritual well. Yes. <laughs> it's not as many wines as it used to be because I've, I, I do CBD now. So that really does help my anxiety. Yep. Um, but, um, I definitely will take a nice glass of wine. Um, and that's probably my ritual. It just, it just kind of centers you a little bit. All right. This is the um, monster question. This is the big one. And it's going to Ben. I think we should ask them both. Okay. That's fine. They'll have okay. such different answers. Okay. Go. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be? And what would the cute little name be? Oh, Ben. It, you know, it's so funny because I've I heard you ask that question on a podcast before. And I was thinking, huh, I have no idea. Um, and here <laughs> I, am. Prepare? I did not prepare. Even though LaShawn's answer was perfect. I was like, yep, that's it was actually rust. Uh, no. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, my favorite color green um it would probably be a slightly lighter shade of green um oh god I, this is so cheesy i'm really into nature and central park and walking in the park so i'm going to connect it in and i'm going to say um oh god oh my god um i'm going to say tree uh leaves in springtime green Oh, okay. Lovely. That's so earnest and beautiful. Like usually, <laughs> it's a very long line for yeah. nail polish too. It's a long, yeah. it's a long, no? it's a long yeah. title. Yeah, yeah. You had to wait for that. You better really want that. 
Yeah, you better want that 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 green color. I think it's so right for you, though, Ben. OK, Scott, what you got? What you got? I don't know. I you know, I don't know. I wish I had something better for you. Instantly, I thought cotton candy, but then I was like, why? Um, but I would say uh, anxious Amber. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, simple to the point. It describes me great. We love this podcast, both Ben and I. So oh, that's we, kind. We do. Oh, we love it. It's so fantastic to have all of this positivity and wonderful conversation out in the world. Thank you so much for this, guys. I really appreciate thank it. You. Oh, thank, thank you, you guys both. so much for coming on. This is what struck a chord with us. Oh, my gosh. They were so great. They are. They really are. Um, I love the direction that this conversation went. And so many things like got me right in the heart and the the gut. First of all, what they both said about the word legacy, I never equated it to ego or, or selfishness yeah. in any yeah. way. Um, and now I want to sit with that thought for a while. I want to sit with perhaps some pressures or expectations that maybe I'm putting on to Vivi or how she reflects upon me, not only in you know, circumstances uh, that are of the here and now, but maybe a larger thing. Cause I never would want to put that in her lap and cause any sort of extra pressure or anxiety. And then when Ben said, you know, it's so much more about a feeling that I immediately went to that Maya Angelou quote, that they may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Mm, and yes. That sort of, that's exactly right. When I think of Ben, it really is a, a feeling of support and comfort and knowing that I have this person alongside me who just makes the experience, whether that be of making music or being in a concert so much better. And he's and looking then, out for you. You know, he's looking out for you. Absolutely. Cause it's, he's not making it about him and no. yeah, you can tell that. Yeah. And then there's Scott who I know how he makes me feel this sort of uh, kinetic high pitched, um, like a, almost a radioactive type feeling of being alive when mm -hmm. you're with him, right? So it's two completely different experiences, but I can bring to the forefront of my being how they each make me feel when I am in a space with them. So well, it, two things. One, I, I want to first go to what we were talking about with legacy, but I don't want to forget what I want to say with the second thing. So uh, regarding the legacy thing, I think... I think you're right. You, we, we don't have the right to put those kinds of pressures on our children, like what, how they reflect on us or how we want them to live their life. But I do think a certain amount of explanation that allows them to see that they do hold a responsibility to the outside world and not just themselves in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and although it doesn't have to be the same way that we did it, you know, our son doesn't have to do what I did or what my husband did. And your child doesn't have to do what you guys do, but they do have to think about what they're leaving behind. Because when we do leave this earth, the only thing that is left behind is the sort of the resin from our actions and the intentions behind them. Right. That's the only thing right. we leave behind. And they need to understand that without the pressure of how to do that. But it is an important thing for them to understand. Um, 
And then, and then to go to the partnership between the two of them, I think it's been so interesting in the, a lot of the composers and writers that we've talked to in the part, those partnerships, they're both really different. Lynn and Steven talked about how different they were. She talked about how meticulous he was and how more free flow she was. And then James talked about it with working with, um, with um, Bill. Sondheim and, and, and Sondheim. Bill and they Sondheim, they were both so different. Other sides of the spectrum, and so he's in the middle. Interesting, right? Yeah, it's so interesting attract. how, and even I think in a marriage sometimes, because my husband and I are really different. And as long as you're not trying to change the person to be like you, I think you can strengthen each other's weaknesses and soften each other's edges with your differences. And I think yeah. that those make for pretty good partnerships as long as you're aware, right? Yeah. That was, re- um, but the other thing that I thought was really, really funny was the, 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 the different way that they viewed when they first met. Oh, Ben had no idea that he was renting space in, in Scott's mind for all those years, you know, and, and yet a part of Scott's mind was taken up with this encounter and, and how it made him feel. And, and, and it just cracks me up. And Ben was just so sweetly oblivious to it. Like I, I had no idea. I thought it was fine. I didn't, <laughs> didn't know it bothered it's that you. All, everybody can be in the same party, but if you're point of view is at an angle of, you know, 30% in the opposite direction, you had a completely different experience at that party than someone else that was over in the corner doing their situation. So yeah, it, 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 that shocked me too, because I was, uh, I was there, I was there. And I thought I had the full bodied experience of the musicians, the engineer, the composers, myself as a vocalist and a producer. And Apparently not. There's always <laughs> going to be something that someone walks away with a completely different experience and interpretation of yeah. the moment. But I think it comes down to just learning how to let stuff go that doesn't serve you, just le- learning how to release expectations of the moment and of the person that might not have been who you wanted them to be, or, you know, it's all just about letting go of what doesn't serve you. But I always think of the yin and yang symbol, which as we discussed, a lot of the other composer lyricist teams and, and really close partnership, creative partnerships are like yin and yang, but they still share that middle curved line, right? Yeah. Which is the um, the shared experience that, like you said, the, the humanity where we all need that same yeah. thing. So, yeah. all right, yang, I appreciate you. <laughs> all right, my yang. <laughs> I love you. Love you. Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. <laughs>